the stars are right, and that means it's time for another episode of The Whisper in Darkness. I'm your host, The Man from Lang. Thank you very much for joining me today. On this episode, we are taking a look at the parallel version of Jim Culver, which was recently released by Fantasy Flight Games. We have a lot to talk about, so let's get started. Before we get started, I'd like to thank the patrons of this channel for their tremendous support. You all rock! If you'd like to be amazing like these people and support the channel's goals and see your name on this list, head over to Patreon.com, sign up for a tier of your choice, and claim your rewards. That would be awesome. Special thanks to Coleman Chitty, Nicole Fiscus, and Nate Lost in Time and Space for their contributions to the channel. I couldn't do it without you. Without further ado, let's get started. Welcome back to the channel, everyone. On this episode, we are taking a look at the parallel version of Jim Culver, which was recently released by Fantasy Flight Games. In addition to a parallel version of Jim's Investigator card, which focuses on Skull and Curse tokens, the designers concocted a spooky new mechanic for Jim the Spirit deck, which arrived just in time for Halloween. Thematically, Jim makes the dead dance when he plays his signature trumpet, which is represented mechanically by the Spirit deck, which allows him to summon the quote-unquote spirits of Arkham's most powerful allies from the Great Beyond to aid him in his investigations. Jim also receives advanced versions of his signature cards, Jim's Trumpet and Final Rhapsody, as well as a challenge scenario laid to rest. In the scenario, Jim must lay the weary souls of the lost to rest as he searches for his father's spirit on Hangman's Hill. I'm not going to discuss the challenge scenario much in this video as I hope to record a playthrough at some point in the future. However, I will say that it is based on a scenario that I absolutely loathe, which is a little disappointing but more on that later. For those of you who are new to the concept of Parallel Investigators, let's quickly review the rules. When building a Jim Culver deck, you may choose whether to use the original version or the parallel version of either the front or back side of his Investigator card. Each version has its own advantages and disadvantages. You can also mix and match the two versions. This means that you can use both original sides, both parallel sides, the original front side and the parallel back side, or the parallel front side and the original back side. This video focuses almost exclusively on the parallel version of Jim Culver, but don't let that stop you from exploring the other combinations available. The original version of Jim Culver the Musician was released in the Dunwich Legacy expansion and has since been reprinted in the Dunwich Legacy Investigator expansion. He has 4 Willpower, 3 Intellect, 3 Combat, and 2 Agility, and the Performance trait. Jim treats the modifier on Skull Tokens you reveal as a 0, and any time you reveal an Elder Sign token, you may choose to instead treat it as a Skull Token. Jim's Elder Sign ability is plus 1, he has 7 Health and 8 Sanity, which is among the highest totals in the game. Jim's Parallel version has the same stat line, but he gains the Cursed trait, as a response, after you reveal one or more Skull or Curse tokens during a skill test you are performing, replenish one charge on an asset you control, limit once per round. Parallel Jim's Elder Sign ability is plus two, and you may treat this token as if it were a Skull or a Curse token instead. Parallel Jim's Health and Sanity are unchanged from the original version. As we'll see in a moment, he is going to need that Health and Sanity due to the advanced version of his signature weakness, Final Rhapsody, and the addition of the Spirit deck, which uh, contains a nasty surprise. A Mystic player at heart, I've always been a fan of the original version of Jim Culver, and he was among the first investigators that I played on the channel way back when. That said, few members of the Arkham Horror LCG community share my enthusiasm for Arkham's resident musician. 
There are a couple reasons why Jim doesn't rank among Arkham's more popular investigators. First, while Jim's original ability to transform skulls into zeros is quite powerful, it's also quite subtle, perhaps a little too subtle for most players. The other investigators in the Dunwich Legacy have abilities that deal extra damage, discover additional clues, generate additional resources, or gain extra actions. The impact of those abilities on the board state is obvious and immediate. It can be difficult to see how Jim's ability is helping you defeat scenarios unless the Chaos Bag contains more skulls than usual, as is the case with the Path to Carcosa and the Dream Eaters campaigns, or you fire up a hypergeometric calculator to make a deep dive into probabilities. And really, who has time for that? The second reason Jim has struggled to gain traction with the community has a lot to do with the timing of his release. Just the second Mystic Investigator, third if you count the Maria Lambeau promo, Jim came out in the Dunwich Legacy expansion. Unfortunately, unlike more recent sets like Edge of the Earth or the Scarlet Keys, which contain a bunch of cards to support Lily and Amina respectively, the Dunwich Legacy didn't provide much in the way of support for Chaos Bag manipulation in general and Jim's ability in particular. There are a handful of cards, such as the Jewel of Oriolus, Ritual Candles, Song of the Dead, and Defiance that benefit from pulling specific tokens from the Chaos Bag, but there are no cards in the set that actually help you achieve that goal. The best Jim could do at the time was pick up Grotesque Statue from the core set, which cost a whopping 4 XP. Cards like Olive McBride and Dark Prophecy weren't released until years later in the Forgotten Age expansion. Jim's popularity also suffered because he was sandwiched between Agnes and Akachi. Stacking Willpower was the name of the Mystic game during the game's formative years, and poor Jim simply couldn't compete against either 5 Willpower Investigator in terms of raw power. Hindsight being 2020, Jim may have been better served had he been packaged with a handful of Chaos Bag Manipulation tech in the Path to Carcosa expansion, since that campaign actually gives Jim's ability a chance to shine. But what's done is done. That brings us to Parallel Jim, whose ability makes an immediate, tangible impact on the board state. When Parallel Jim reveals a Skull or Curse token, you get to replenish a charge on an asset you control. Additional charges can be hard to come by in this game depending on the size of your card pool. So the ability to replenish charges by pulling from the Chaos Bag, something you're going to be doing often anyway, is powerful. Combine Parallel Jim's ability with the Cursed Suite of Mystic Assets from the Innsmouth Conspiracy, which also give you an option of gaining extra charges for pulling curse tokens, and a little Chaos Bag manipulation, and you could keep your prized assets topped off with charges for the entire game. And there are plenty of great assets that use charges. I've already mentioned the cursed suite of spells that help mystics discover clues, fight or evade, but there's also Enchanted Blade, Grotesque Statue 2, and Living Ink, to name a few. It's worth noting that Parallel Jim's ability triggers off Skull and Curse Tokens, which has become something of a theme of late. Bless and Curse Tokens were a relatively late addition to the game, so the designers have been mutating many older cards that reference specific tokens, like Ritual Candles, to better incorporate Bless and Curse Tokens into the game. It's a safe bet that the parallel versions of Zoe Samaras and Rex Murphy will continue this trend, as they seem like perfect vehicles to explore the Bless and Curse mechanic further. Parallel Jim's Elder Sign ability also gets a boost compared with the original. If Parallel Jim draws an Elder Sign, the plus two bonus mitigates the negative modifier of a curse token, which Parallel Jim's deck building options encourage him to dump into the Chaos Bag. Alternatively, if Parallel Jim needs a curse token to trigger the ability on a card like Eye of the Jinn, 
and Elder Sign works just as well. While the front of Parallel Jim's Investigator card offers a more tangible benefit for pulling Skull and Curse tokens, the real excitement is on the back. The original version of Jim Culver features the classic Dunwich Legacy template that we've all come to know and love. Deck size 30, Mystic cards level 0 to 5, Neutral cards level 0 to 5, and up to 5 level 0 cards from any other class. His deck building requirements include Jim's Trumpet, Final Rhapsody, and one random basic weakness. Parallel Jim's deck building options are a radical departure from what we've seen from past Parallel Investigators. Parallel Jim's deck size remains at 30, but he is limited to Mystic cards level 0 to 3. However, in exchange for that limitation, he gains access to Spell and Cursed cards level 0 to 4, Neutral cards level 0 to 5, and up to 5 other Survivor cards level 0. His deck building requirements include a new card, the Beyond, in addition to his traditional signature cards and basic weakness. The Beyond is the gateway to Parallel Jim's new mechanic, the Spirit Deck, which contains nine different ally assets from any class level 0 to 2, and a new weakness, Vengeful Shade. I have a lot to say about the Spirit Deck, but first let's break down Parallel Jim's deck building options. Honestly, limiting Jim to Mystic cards level 0 to 3 doesn't hurt him as much as I thought it would. Arcane Studies 4 is no great loss, neither is the Shining Trapezohedron. Parallel Jim can't play the upgrades for the Spell Suite released in the Jacqueline Fine Starter Deck or the Charm Suite released in the Scarlet Keys. Not that he was uh, really interested in playing those cards to begin with. There is at least one Jim Culvert Cyclopean Hammer build posted on Arkham DB, but uh, the community's most distinguished deck builders have uh, largely ignored that combination up to this point. Examining several modern and classic Jim Culver builds gives us a clearer picture of how the parallel versions cap on Mystic Cards impacts deck building. For example, Jim with a Shotgun question mark 2023 by Powie loses the 35 Winchester Grosstesk Statue level 4 and Deny Existence level 5. Losing the 35 Winchester rips the heart out of the deck, but if you insist on building it using the parallel version of Jim's Investigator card, you could purchase two copies of Versatile to shoehorn the 35 Winchester into the deck at the expense of a larger deck size. Grotesque Statue 4 can be replaced by its level 2 counterpart, while Deny Existence 5 is an upgrade that I usually consider to be a late game luxury. Deny Existence at level 0 is fine in a pinch. Jim recalls his future hip hop gigs 2023 by Valentine 1331, loses Deny Existence level 5 and Daring Maneuver which I suspect is there only to cycle through the deck more quickly. Again, Deny Existence level 0 can cover for its level 5 counterpart. Pacific Gym 2023 by Mold of Mlem is much more difficult, if not impossible, to build using the parallel version of Jim Culver, since it loses Living Ink level 5, Summon Servitor level 5, Kicking the Hornet's Nest, and Vicious Blow. True Majim 2022, a beginner deck built by Valentine 1331, is also impossible to build using the parallel version of Jim, since it loses its signature card, True Magic. Limiting Jim to Mystic cards at level 0 to 3 does curtail some specialized builds, but I'd argue that uh, limiting Jim to 5 level 0 survivor cards rather than 5 level 0 cards from any class has a greater impact since it robs Jim of one of his big advantages over other mystics, namely his versatility. For example, Tuque de Silencio 2022 by Dex Factory loses Magnifying Glass, Research Librarian, Leo De Luca, and Elusive, 
while Jim Culver in Chaos Major 2020 by Butanami loses Lone Wolf and Eureka. The last Jim Culver deck that I built for solo play included Lone Wolf, Elusive, and Take the Initiative, which are no-nos if you're using the parallel version of Jim's Investigator card as a foundation. Now don't get me wrong, the level 0 survivor card pool is incredible, and Parallel Jim's deck should be able to find suitable replacements for most of the cards that he is prohibited from taking if he so desires, but there are a few like Lone Wolf that I'll miss. Parallel Jim's deck building options open up Spell and Curse cards level 0 to 4. Spell cards level 0 to 4 enables Parallel Jim to take a bunch of Mystic cards that would have been prohibited by the Mystic level 0 to 3 limitation. It also gives him access to a handful of non-Mystic spells, although most of those options aren't that inspiring. Besides cards like Obfuscation and Suggestion, most of the non-Mystic spells are events which don't really jive with Parallel Jim's preference for assets. I think Enchant Weapon level 3 has potential though, especially in combination with the Enchanted Blade. If you're concerned about Treacheries, Orphic Theory and either level of Alter Fate are also good options. Cursed cards level 0 to 4 enable Parallel Jim to explore the Curse archetype. Parallel Jim's ability rewards him for pulling Curse tokens, so this addition of Cursed cards to his deck building options is really a no-brainer. As a solo player, I've had a love-hate relationship with the Bless and Cursed mechanic since its release during the Insmith Conspiracy cycle. I like the mechanic in theory, but its implementation in the solo format left something to be desired. Long story short, it just takes too long to fill the Chaos Bag with Bless slash Curse tokens when you're playing in solo, so Bless slash Curse decks always feel like they're a step slower than their non-Bless slash Curse counterparts. By the time I've got enough Bless and Curse tokens in the Chaos Bag to matter, the game is nearly over anyway, and honestly I don't really see the point of waiting for a Bless or Curse deck to spin up when I can just win with a traditional deck. The payoff for filling the Chaos Bag with a pile of Curse Tokens, which will likely cause you to fail more skill tests in the long run, is also somewhat suspect. The Curse mechanic is front-loaded, so cards like Deep Knowledge, Faustian Bargain, and Promise of Power reward you handsomely for adding Curse Tokens to the bag. However, most of the cards that reward you for revealing Curse Tokens during skill tests are either more expensive than their Curse counterparts, I'm looking at you, Eye of Chaos, or require a significant investment of experience points. Reservations about the Bless and Curse mechanics aside, Parallel Jim's ability gives players another compelling reason to reveal Curse tokens. The designers have already revealed that they plan to flesh out the Bless and Curse mechanics in the Feast of Hemlock Vale Investigator expansion, so I'm going to be keeping my eyes open for Curse cards that work with Parallel Jim. That brings us to Parallel Jim's unique deck building requirement, the Beyond, which is the gateway to the Spirit deck, a separate 10 card deck containing 9 different ally assets from any class level 0 to 2, and a new weakness, the Vengeful Shade. The Beyond Bleak Netherworld is a permanent asset with the Sanctum and Spectral traits. It has the following forced effect. When your turn begins, attach the top card of the Spirit deck to the Beyond as a Spirit. If four or more spirits are attached, flip this card and resolve its text. Spirits attached to the Beyond lose all printed traits and gain the Geist trait. When damage or horror would be placed on an attached spirit, it must be placed on Jim Culver instead. When the fourth spirit is attached to the Beyond, you flip the card to its story side and resolve the following forced effect. 
One at a time, choose each non-weakness spirit attached to the beyond and reveal a random token from the chaos bag. If it is an Elder Sign token, you may either heal one horror or attach the top card of the spirit deck to the beyond as a spirit. Do not reveal tokens for the spirit you attached after resolving this effect. If it's an auto-fail token, you discard this spirit and take one direct da damage or horror. If it's a skull token, you discard this spirit and heal one horror. If you reveal a cultist tablet or elder thing token, you must either discard this spirit or take one direct damage. Or if you reveal any other token, you discard this spirit. You then flip the beyond back to its asset side. It's important to note that spirits attached to the beyond are in play but only retain their names and text boxes. Spirits do not take up slots and do not have health and sanity values. When a unique spirit is attached to the beyond, any other assets that share its name and is already in play is discarded. Spirits are always discarded to the bottom of the spirit deck. The beyond has a lot of text on its front and back, but uh, the ability is fairly straightforward. At the start of each of your turns, you attach the top card of the spirit deck to the beyond, where it functions just like any other ally in the game, albeit sans health and sanity. When you attach the fourth spirit, you flip the beyond and you reveal a chaos token for each spirit, one at a time. Most tokens in the chaos bag, including curse tokens, simply discard the ally to the bottom of the spirit deck. There are two quote-unquote good tokens in the chaos bag, the Elder Sign and Skulls. Pulling an Elder Sign gives you the option of healing one horror or attaching the top card of the spirit deck to the beyond. Which option you choose will depend a lot on Jim's current sanity and whether you have dealt with the Vengeful Shade yet. More on the Vengeful Shade a little bit later in this video. Pulling a Skull token discards the ally to the bottom of the spirit deck, but Jim does get to heal one horror in exchange. There are also a couple of quote-unquote bad tokens in the Chaos Bag. Pulling the Auto-Fail discards the spirit and deals one direct damage or horror to Jim, which is by far the worst outcome. Pulling a Cultist Tablet or Elder Thing gives you the choice of discarding the spirit to the bottom of the spirit deck, or Jim takes one direct damage. Personally, I'd probably pitch the ally most of the time, but I wouldn't rule out taking the direct damage depending on the board state and the ally. For example, if the game is likely to end before the Beyond flips again and Jim has the health to spare or a way to heal, I'd be willing to take the damage to keep an ally like Leo DeLuca on the table for an extra turn or two to help wrap up a scenario. Given the distribution of tokens in the Chaos Bag, odds are that flipping the Beyond will reset the number of allies attached to it to zero. Given the fact that Jim didn't invest any actions, cards, or resources to play those allies in the first place, I think he still comes out well ahead in that deal. Besides, more spirits will come to his aid on subsequent turns. The only really bad token in the Chaos Bag is the auto-fail, and the odds of pulling that are pretty low to begin with, and you can make them even lower by adding a bunch of extra bless and curse tokens to the Chaos Bag. The Cultist Tablet and Elder Thing may seem bad at first, but the fact that the player has a choice between discarding the ally or taking the direct damage means that they are still very much in the driver's seat. If Jim has plenty of health left, one direct damage is a small price to pay for a powerful ally, especially if the game is going to end before that damage even has a chance to matter. There are a couple of other things worth mentioning about the Beyond before I move on. First, when you flip the Beyond, you are revealing Chaos Tokens from the Chaos Bag, which means you can manipulate the result. 
Parallel Jim's ability only triggers during skill tests, but you could use cards like Dark Prophecy and Grotesque Statue Level 2 to fish for a particular token. If you were really worried about pulling an autofail from the bag, you could trigger Favor of the Moon to guarantee that you pull a curse token. Sure, you discard the ally, but uh, that was likely to happen anyway, and you gain a resource out of the deal. You could even trigger all of McBride. You would need to get pretty lucky though, since you pull three tokens and resolve two of them, which uh, almost guarantees that you'll discard the ally in question. But if you can pull a combination of Elder Signs and Skulls, you could either heal two horror or heal one horror and attach another ally to the beyond. The other thing I'd like to touch on briefly is manipulating the order of the cards in the spirit deck. You don't have very much control over which spirits you attach to the beyond, at least at first. Once the beyond flips, however, you do have some control over the order in which the spirits are discarded to the bottom of the spirit deck. It's a small thing, but it may end up being important if the game lasts longer than 10 turns and you end up cycling through the spirit deck. Say, for example, Leo DeLuca is the fourth card that you attach to the Beyond, flipping it. You may not benefit from Leo now, but if you choose to reveal a Chaos token for Leo first, you'll likely discard him to the bottom of the deck first, improving the odds that he turns up again during turn 11 through 13. Leo's extra action would certainly come in handy, especially if you expect this scenario to conclude shortly after he reappears. So that brings us to the most important question of all, which nine ally assets do you include in the spirit deck? The short answer is, just pick the nine best level zero to two allies in the game and you'll probably be fine. The long answer is, well, longer. Obviously, if you're playing multiplayer, you should probably coordinate with your friends. It would be a shame if your friend spent six resources to play Leo DeLuca and then you attach Leo to the beyond and uh, poof, your friend's copy is a ghost. However, if you play solo like I do, there's nothing stopping you from including nine of the most powerful level zero to two allies in the game in your spirit deck. Leo DeLuca, Dr. Mylan Christopher, Mr. Rook, they're all fair game. That said, there are a couple of things to keep in mind as you build the spirit deck. First, allies that deal damage to themselves to trigger effects, like Beat Cop Level 2, are a risky choice since that damage or horror is placed on Jim instead. Second, allies that attach cards to themselves, such as Dr. Ellie Horowitz, are difficult to justify due to the transient nature of the spirits. On the other hand, allies that provide passive skill bonuses, such as Beat Cop, Greta Wagner, Lonnie Ritter, and Peter Sylvester, or have powerful abilities like Leo DeLuca or Mr. Rook are fantastic choices. In fact, there are so many allies that provide passive skill bonuses at this stage of the game that you can tailor the spirit deck to suit Jim's strategy. For example, if Jim is focusing on spells that require a high willpower, David Renfield and Granny Orn are a good choice at level 0. Once Jim earns some XP, he can pick up Brother Xavier level 1, Peter Sylvester level 2, Tristan Botley level 2, or Witten Green level 2 to reinforce his willpower further. Witten Green in particular is an interesting choice since you may use her reaction to search your deck for Jim's trumpet. Depending on the order in which you attach the spirits to the beyond, Jim could have up to th plus 3 willpower from the allies attached to the beyond alone. As you can see from the following lists, Jim's spirit deck can also focus on intellect, combat, or agility, depending on whether you need Jim to discover clues or manage enemies. There are a lot of allies that provide passive intellect and combat skill bonuses, often in addition to other powerful abilities. 
Allies with passive agility skill bonuses are a little bit harder to come by than the others, but evading enemies has never been one of Jim's strengths. Toss in a laboratory assistant for some card draw, Leo DeLuca for extra actions, Gregory Gree for resource generation, or Alyssa Graham for encounter deck manipulation, and you'll have nine cards for your spirit deck in no time. Jim's spirit deck must also contain a weakness that will threaten to drive him insane, Vengeful Shade. Vengeful Shade has 5 combat, 2 health, 5 evade, and the monster and geist traits. It has the hunter keyword and preys on Jim Culver only. You may fight or evade the Vengeful Shade while it is attached to the beyond as if it were engaged with you. If you succeed, discard it. If you fail, spawn it engaged with you. Vengeful Shade has the following forced effect. When you attach a spirit to the beyond via its forced effect, Vengeful Shade attacks you, even if it is not at your location. Vengeful Shade deals to horror. Vengeful Shade is similar to Patrice Hathaway's basic weakness, Watcher from Another Dimension, with two important differences. First, Patrice may fight or evade the Watcher as if it were at her location, which gives her a few options to deal with it that are unavailable to Jim. Second, the Watcher only attacks Patrice when her deck runs out of cards. Vengeful Shade will inflict two horror on Jim every time he attaches a spirit to the beyond, which happens at the start of every turn. That means Vengeful Shade is at its most dangerous if it pops out of the spirit deck on turn one before Jim has had a chance to set up. Jim may have eight sanity, but he can't really afford to get tagged by Vengeful Shade turn after turn, so he must find some way to counter it as soon as it attaches itself to the beyond. That won't be easy though. Vengeful Shade's fight and evade values are well above average for basic weaknesses, which makes for a difficult skill test for Jim, especially if you go the evade route. That said, I don't think Vengeful Shade is quite as dangerous as it first appears, even if you get unlucky and it pops out of the spirit deck at the start of your first turn. First, you know Vengeful Shade is coming at some point in the scenario, so you can prepare for it during deck building. Second, as long as Vengeful Shade is attached to the Beyond, you need to pass only one skill test to send it packing to the bottom of the spirit deck. Sure, that skill test is going to be more difficult than usual, but Jim is only one Spectral Razor or Promise of Power away from passing it most of the time on standard difficulty. Even a card like Jim's Trumpet is almost enough to pass the test. And if Spectral Razor or Promise of Power can't quite get the job done on their own, Parallel Jim can play Lucky to push the test over the finish line. You are probably going to play those cards in your Jim deck anyway, so it's not like you've got to go out of your way during deck building to account for Vengeful Shade. The third issue with Vengeful Shade is that it only has two health. If Plan A fails to deal with Vengeful Shade while it is attached to the Beyond and it spawns engaged with you, there is always Plan B. Enchanted Blade plus a skill card like Guts, Unexpected Courage, or the aforementioned Promise of Power, or even Jim's Trumpet will likely do the trick on standard difficulty. Spells like Shriveling require a little more help to succeed, but if the allies in your spirit deck provide passive willpower skill boosts, you will likely be okay. Lucky is an option here too. Worst comes to worst and you fail to draw any assets, a card like Explosive Ward can eliminate Vengeful Shade as long as you have two resources to spare and you don't mind emptying your arcane slots. Again, you are probably going to be playing most if not all of these cards in your deck anyway, giving you plenty of options to deal with Vengeful Shade without twisting your deck all out of shape. 
Fourth, Vengeful Shade does not deal direct horror, which means you can either prevent it outright with deny existence or soak it using allies or other assets. This isn't ideal given the horror output of Vengeful Shade and the fact that soak likely requires spending precious resources that could be spent on a more permanent solution. However, if you fail to draw anything good in your opening hand, Jim's 8 Sanity, a Deny Existence or two, or even a skill like Fearless should buy you enough time to deal with Vengeful Shade. Another option, and I realize this sounds crazy coming from Man From Lang who has shit all over the healing cards in this game, is trying to heal through Vengeful Shade's horror. I don't think this is a viable strategy in solo because you would need to prioritize healing over discovering clues and enemy management, but I could see a support parallel gym build in multiplayer that supplements the healing provided by Jim's Trumpet with cards like Peter Sylvester, who wouldn't be in the spirit deck I might add, Deny Existence, Fearless, and Meat Cleaver, among other healing assets to simply ignore Vengeful Shade. Now, I'm no expert on healing builds, and drawing Vengeful Shade on turn 1 may put too much pressure on your healing resources, but I'm fairly certain you could manage Vengeful Shade if it appeared mid to late game. I mean, Peter Sylvester alone can keep Jim alive for a good long time while your other healing cards come online. Again, all of the solutions I've mentioned above assume the worst case scenario, that is, Vengeful Shade attaches itself to the Beyond on turn 1. Assuming you play two copies of most of the cards I've mentioned above, almost half your deck is dedicated to dealing with Vengeful Shade, and that's without sacrificing your ability to excel at other aspects of the game. Given the Arkham Horror LCG's generous mulligan rules, odds are that you will draw something in your opening hand to deal with Vengeful Shade should it appear turn 1. And that brings me to the part of the video in which I discuss Power Creep. As you know, Duke and Nick have taken over design duties from Maxine, and I'm sure they are eager to leave their mark on the game just as Maxine did before them. Some Power Creep is inevitable in games like this, However, I have become increasingly concerned about the issue based on some of the cards that I've seen recently. The alarm bells started to ring when I saw some of the preview cards for the Feast of Hemlock Vale Investigator expansion, which comes out in January. Some of the level 0 cards in the preview article, such as Sparrow Mask, which Parallel Jim can take, I might add, seem to push the boundaries in terms of power. I'm singling out Sparrow Mask here because each class is likely to receive their own mask, which means there are at least 5 cards in the set that are potentially problematic. That said, the cards in the preview article are a small sample size, perhaps the rest of them will be fine. I guess we'll find out when preview season rolls around. Stay tuned for that. But then I saw Pete's Guitar, the replacement signature card that was released as part of Parallel Ashcan Pete. I really don't envy the designers here. Ashcan Pete's signature card Duke is already the best ally in the game, so designing an advanced version of Duke that is both better than the original and balanced is a significant challenge. So the designers didn't try, opting to give Ashcan Pete replacement signatures instead. I was initially lukewarm on Pete's guitar, then I played it, and it gave Ashcan Pete unprecedented control over enemies, potentially trivializing some scenarios. I don't think I would have a problem with that if Pete's guitar existed in a void. I think signature cards should be powerful. However, the problem with making Pete's guitar a replacement signature is that the rules for replacement signatures allow Ashcan Pete to play Duke and Pete's guitar. 
Sure, you get an extra weakness, and parallel Ashcan Pete needs to draw Duke the hard way, but once Ashcan has both signatures on the table, watch out. So the designers avoided one problem, that is, creating an overpowered version of Duke, by creating another, Pete's Guitar, which pushes Ashcan Pete to another level in terms of raw power. And uh, Ashcan Pete was already among the best investigators in the game. It's not like he needed the help. That little detour brings us back to parallel Jim Culver and the Spirit Deck. Now, I realize that Jim's reputation with the community isn't stellar, but if you came to me and said, Man from Ling, we're thinking about creating a mechanic for Jim that gives him nine extra allies that don't require ally slots and don't require him to spend cards, resources, or actions to play, does that sound reasonable? I would respond, have you lost your freaking mind? Frankly, the spirit tech is too powerful. I mean, Charlie Kane is the investigator who specializes in allies and he can only dream of a card this good. One of the first things you learn when you sit down to build a Charlie Kane deck is that, while he can play nearly every amazing ally in the game, he's limited by the fact that he must invest cards, actions, and more importantly, resources in order to play them. My first Charlie Kane deck contained a who's who of Arkham's best and brightest, but the moment I played Leo DeLuca, I realized that I was screwed because I was out of resources and Charlie doesn't have the stat line to survive without support provided by his legion of allies. Parallel Jim has no such limitations. He just gets an extra ally that doesn't require an ally slot for free at the start of every turn. Now, to the designer's credit, I think they took several steps to try to balance the mechanic, but let's take a closer look at those steps. You could argue the spirit deck is balanced because Jim cannot, in fact, put all the best allies in it because he must share the ally pool with the rest of the players at the table. But I don't think trying to balance a mechanic around what other players may or may not play in their decks is a good way to approach the problem. It's worth noting here that if one of Jim's spirits duplicates an ally on the table, that ally gets discarded, not the spirit. That means there is nothing but basic common courtesy preventing Jim from stacking his spirit deck in a multiplayer setting, and besides, that limitation evaporates in solo. There is nothing stopping me from playing all the best allies in the spirit deck. You could argue the spirit deck is balanced because the allies that are attached to the beyond are transient, but that doesn't address the fact that for most of the game, Jim has up to three extra allies on the table allies that required literally zero investment on his part. It's important to remember here that while it's likely that all of the allies attached to the Beyond will be discarded when it flips, it's not guaranteed. In fact, if Jim reveals a cultist, tablet, or elder thing token, he gets to choose whether to keep the ally in exchange for a damage. That's a small price to pay considering that you didn't spend anything to bring the ally into play to begin with. You could argue the spirit deck is balanced because the allies attached to the beyond can't be used to soak damage and horror because they lack health and sanity. I don't buy that argument because you don't play allies like Leo DeLuca, Dr. Mylan Christopher, or Mr. Rook for soak. You play them primarily for their special abilities. The extra health and sanity they provide are nice perks, but those numbers are often the least interesting thing written on the card. It's the abilities of those allies that are really going to drive your board state forward. And those abilities are completely unaffected if the ally is attached to the beyond. 
You could argue the spirit deck is balanced because Parallel Jim is incentivized to play curse tokens, which will cause him to fail more skill tests. Filling the bag with curse tokens also makes fighting or evading the Vengeful Shade a much dicier proposition. But Parallel Jim isn't required to build his deck around the curse mechanic, he's merely encouraged to do so. When I listed the cards that helped Jim deal with Vengeful Shade, the only card that added curse tokens to the Chaos Bag was Promise of Power. Unless Parallel Jim has a compelling reason to focus on the curse mechanic, and I'm not convinced that reason exists yet, I suspect most builds will ignore it entirely, or use the tools available to mitigate the impact of pulling curse tokens. Parallel Jim's reaction gives him extra charges if he pulls skull tokens too, so it's not like you need the curse tokens to generate extra charges for your assets. It's also worth noting that nothing at all bad happens if you reveal a curse token after the Beyond flips. The allying question is simply discarded, which is the same thing that would happen if you drew a plus one token. Finally, you could argue the spirit deck is balanced because it was probably playtested, at which point I'll just remain silent and simply point to the seeker card pool as proof that FFG's playtesting system has cracks so large in it that you can push something so obviously broken as the Necronomicon through them. That brings us back to Vengeful Shade. I've got to say, Vengeful Shade has a lot of heavy lifting to do here to keep the spirit deck balanced. Now, I could be wrong, maybe the threat posed by Vengeful Shade is so great that it keeps the spirit deck in check, but my experience playing this game, coupled with Parallel Jim's card pool, tells me that the Vengeful Shade has more bark than bite. You know Vengeful Shade is coming, perhaps as early as turn 1, so if you play smart and make sure you've got an appropriate counter on the table or in your hand, Vengeful Shade will trouble you for one skill test at most. Depending on when the Vengeful Shade arrives on the scene, you may not have to deal with it for the remainder of the game, in which case enjoy your free allies risk-free. Sure, sometimes you'll trump the Chaos Bag and fail to fight or evade Vengeful Shade anyway when you pull an auto-fail token, but that has nothing to do with Vengeful Shade and everything to do with the RNG inherent in the game. Moving on from the Spirit Deck, Jim Culver also received advanced versions of his signature cards, Jim's Trumpet and Final Rhapsody. Before I continue, here's a quick reminder of how advanced signature cards work for anyone new to the game. Regardless of which version of Jim Culver you use, you may optionally upgrade Jim's signature cards to his new advanced signature cards, replacing the original versions. The advanced signature cards come as a set. If you choose to upgrade Jim's Trumpet, you must also upgrade Final Rhapsody. Doing so costs no experience points and may be done at any point during the campaign, including before Scenario 1. However, once this upgrade is made, it cannot be undone unless you were instructed to otherwise. For example, if you successfully complete an Investigator's Challenge scenario, you usually get to upgrade the signature and downgrade the weakness, However, if you fail to complete it, you are usually required to downgrade the signature card and upgrade the weakness. Jim's Trumpet is a 2-cost asset with 2 willpower and a wild skill icon and the item instrument and relic traits. It has the following reaction. When a skull token is revealed during a skill test, exhaust Jim's Trumpet. Heal one horror from an investigator at your location or a connecting location. It takes up a hand slot. The advanced version of Jim's Trumpet adds an extra wild skill icon and changes up the reaction slightly. When a skull or curse token is revealed during a skill test you are performing, exhaust Jim's Trumpet. 
Heal one horror from each investigator and ally asset at your location or a connecting location, and it still requires a hand slot. As much as I like Jim Culver as an investigator, I've never been a fan of his trumpet in solo. Jim's hands are usually full, and it costs two resources and an action for a response that simply doesn't trigger all that often when you play by yourself. Besides, Jim's above-average willpower and high sanity are often enough to see him through most scenarios. I usually end up committing the trumpet to a skill test for its three willpower skill icons and moving on. Jim's trumpet does have its admirers in multiplayer, though, where it may trigger off any skull token revealed at the table, not just skulls that Jim reveals. Given enough players and enough skill tests, you are likely to trigger Jim's trumpet almost every turn, which is fantastic. The advanced version of Jim's trumpet tacks on the proviso that the reaction only triggers during skill tests that Jim is performing, which is a nerf in exchange for triggering on curse tokens. It also ratchets up the healing, targeting each investigator and ally asset at your location or a connecting location. I wouldn't bother upgrading to the advanced version of Jim's trumpet in solo because the extra healing that it provides simply isn't worth the extra risk associated with the advanced version of Final Rhapsody. More on that in a moment. However, I could see Jim doing some serious work with the trumpet in multiplayer, healing one horror from each investigator and ally asset without necessarily taking an action has the potential to really add up over the course of a game, provided you've got some way of reliably pulling skulls and or curse tokens. Olive McBride is a good bet at level 0, while Nikosi Mabatis is amazing if you've got 3 XP to spare. Jim's signature weakness is Final Rhapsody, it's a treachery with the end times trait, when you draw it, reveal 5 Chaos Tokens from the Chaos Bag. For each skill or auto-fail token revealed, take 1 damage and 1 horror. In my experience, Final Rhapsody tends to be pretty benign. You'll likely take at least 1 damage and 1 horror, but I've also had it whiff entirely, at which point it only costs you the card draw. The odds of Final Rhapsody tagging you for a whopping 3 damage and 3 horror is only about 2% in most scenarios, so I wouldn't worry about that too much. It's also worth noting that the damage and horror is indirect, so Jim can soak it using allies and other assets as usual. I've got to say though, the advanced version of Final Rhapsody is much more dangerous. You still reveal 5 Chaos Tokens from the Chaos Bag, but you take 1 damage and 1 horror for each non-Elder Sign, non-Bless symbol token revealed. That includes Skulls, Cultists, Tablets, Elder Things, Curses, Frost, and Auto-Fail Tokens. The odds of taking at least 3 damage and 3 horror skyrockets to 20% in most scenarios, and that's before you account for any Curse Tokens in the Chaos Bag. There is also the small possibility that you take 5 damage and 5 horror. That is no joke. As I've mentioned above, that's not a risk that I'm willing to take in solo. The benefits of upgrading to the advanced version of Jim's Trumplet simply aren't worth it in that format. If you decide to upgrade to the advanced version of Jim's Trumpet in multiplayer, then you will need to be extremely frugal with Jim's health and sanity, because the advanced version of Final Rhapsody has the potential to kill him outright if you get careless. The advanced version of Final Rhapsody also gives the Vengeful Shade more bite, since getting tagged by both weaknesses in quick succession could be fatal, the damage and horror dealt by both is still indirect though, so Jim can prevent it or soak it as necessary. 
In an ideal world, you could upgrade to Jim's advanced signatures and then downgrade Final Rhapsody by overcoming Jim's challenge scenario laid to rest, but uh, that seems highly unlikely. In fact, you may end up keeping advanced Final Rhapsody and downgrading Jim's trumpet instead, which is a bad deal any way you slice it if you play his challenge scenario. I'm not going to discuss Jim's challenge scenario much in this video, as I hope to record a playthrough at some point in the future, time permitting. I will say the challenge scenario makes an awful first impression, though, since it's based on the Wages of Sin from the Circle Undone campaign. I consider Wages of Sin to be among the worst, if not the worst, solo scenario in the game. I have also had the displeasure of playing it in multiplayer too, and uh, it wasn't much better in that format. In fact, I remember it being one of the most frustrating games of Arkham Horror that I have ever played. The scenario is poorly designed for solo, asking a player to do far too much on a very small map in too little time, all the while being swarmed by enemies, which are the bane of a solo player's existence. In order to advance to Act 2A and achieve Resolution 1, you need four copies of Unfinished Business in the Victory Display, which is nigh impossible in Solo given the time constraints and the sheer number of enemies that appear on the small map. As a result, most players simply cut their losses, do the bare minimum, that is, placing one copy of Unfinished Business in the Victory Display, and then resign which makes the scenario feel utterly pointless in the grand scheme of things. Act 1A of Laid to Rest still requires four copies of Unfinished Business in the Victory Display to achieve Resolution 1, while it makes the heretics in that scenario slightly easier to flip with the enemy Jean Devereux, the scenario throws another four enemies into the mix, five if you count Jean when he is possessed, the Ravenous Spirits have above-average fight and evade values and 6 health apiece in solo. Killing one 6 health enemy in solo I think is doable. Killing multiple 6 health enemies? Now that is a tall order. To top it all off, the Ravenous Spirits have Retaliate. While they do have the aloof keyword, so you don't have to engage them immediately, it's not like you can ignore them since they are actively trying to kill Jean, who has only 3 health. And if Jean dies, Jim takes a mental trauma for each heretic still in the beyond. Jim can try to heal Jean by talking some sense into him, but that skill test gets more difficult for each copy of Unfinished Business in the Victory Display. I'm going to reserve my final judgment on Laid to Rest until I've played it, but if the Wages of Sin seemed impossible to solo before, the changes made to the scenario for Laid to Rest only seem to make it more difficult. I suspect that uh, Resolution 2 is the most likely outcome for most groups, especially if you're playing solo, which has the potential to saddle Jim with up to 4 mental trauma and force him to downgrade Jim's trumpet or upgrade to the advanced version of Final Rhapsody, which is terrible. So you're telling me that if I play Laid to Rest, the best I can hope for is multiple mental trauma and a debilitating weakness? I'll pass, thanks. If achieving Resolution 1 in Laid to Rest is a pipe dream in Solo and, uh, most likely multiplayer too, then there's absolutely no point to playing it, because the risks far outweigh the benefits. Before I wrap up this video, I'd like to give you a couple of deck ideas to fire your imagination when you sit down to build your parallel gym decks. 
The first deck ignores the curse mechanic in favor of a bunch of solid mystic and survivor cards. You're not going to generate a lot of extra charges with this deck, but you don't have to deal with the risks associated with the curse tokens either. The deck includes plenty of great targets for Jim's reaction, including Rite of Seeking, Shriveling, Living Ink, and Enchanted Blade. It also includes plenty of ways to deal with Vengeful Shade. If you're really worried about Vengeful Shade, you could include a copy of Explosive Ward, which you could use to take out the Shade before you get set up, or you can pitch it late game for two combat skill icons. I haven't included a spirit deck, but you can't really go wrong with a bunch of allies providing a mix of passive skill bonuses and other powerful abilities, such as Leo DeLuca's Extra Action or Dr. Mylan Christopher's Resource Generation. The second deck goes all in on the curse mechanic. The deck is based on a Dexter Drake build by Derby K. Deep Knowledge, Faustian Bargain, Tempt Fate, and Promise of Power dump curse tokens into the bag while generating cards and resources. Eye of the Djinn is the payoff for drawing those curse tokens, so you can generate a lot of extra actions. The deck includes plenty of targets for Parallel Jim's reaction, and plenty of ways to deal with Vengeful Shade, including Spectral Razor and Riastrad. More curse tokens in the bag makes that a riskier proposition, though. The deck initially included Priest of Two Faiths, but you could put a copy of it in the Spirit deck. This deck was originally designed for Dexter, who has 5 willpower as opposed to Jim's 4. Jim can overcome that deficit by stacking his spirit deck with allies that provide passive willpower skill boosts, though. The only other issue I have with the deck, besides the XP cost, which is considerable, is the lack of skill cards. I like playing a lot of skills since passing skill tests is the name of the game in the Arkham Horror LCG. Unfortunately, all of that curse tech doesn't leave much room for extra skill cards. It's also worth noting that if you are spending a lot of XP upgrading those curse cards, you're going to also have to spend XP to upgrade uh, Jim's ally suite in the spirit deck. So the uh, XP cost of this uh, deck is quite high. That's going to do it for my look at the Parallel Jim Investigator for the Arkham Horror LCG. If I was to rate Parallel Jim using the token system that we use for reviews on this channel, I'd likely give him an Elder Sign for theme and a curse token for execution. I'm not sure what Jim did to deserve the spirit deck, but simply handing him a bunch of extra allies that require little to no investment on his part is a step in the wrong direction. Vengeful Shade might be enough to keep Jim and his cavalcade of free allies in check, but uh, I have my doubts. There are plenty of great Mystic and Survivor cards that can deal with Vengeful Shade efficiently, even if it appears on the first turn of the game. The real risk to Jim, then, is not so much the Vengeful Shade, but RNG. But I have talked enough for one video. Let me know what you think about Parallel Jim and the Spirit Deck in the comments down below. Is it too weak, too strong, or just right? Are you afraid of the Vengeful Shade, or are you confident that you can deal with it from turn one? I look forward to hearing your thoughts. In the meantime, I'm going to get to work on my look at uh, Parallel Zoe Samaras, who focuses on the Bless mechanic. Stay tuned for that. That's going to do it for this episode. If you enjoyed what you hear, remember to like, comment, and subscribe. If you need to contact me, I can be reached at manfromlang at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at manfromlang. Until the stars are right, keep your shotgun close and your elder sign closer. Take care out there, and happy investigating.